open our hands. Posture of offering ourselves to you today. Oh, Jesus, we come to you, you who are the living, eternal word. And we come not only with hands open, but with hearts and mind and soul and spirit open to receive from you today. We welcome you, King of kings, Lord of lords, even as you have been welcomed in this house. We welcome you now to come and speak to us. Lord, there's nowhere else that we'd rather be right now than listening to you. Because you alone hold the words of eternal life. We have nowhere else to go. We have nothing else to turn to to receive those but to you. So Jesus, we do. We turn to you now with open hearts. We welcome you to transform us. Jesus, how we love you. How honored we are to spend time with you today. Be here in your presence. Come now. Living word. Speak. In the name of Jesus. All God's people say. morning we continue our series of messages in the closing chapters of the Gospel of Mark, a series of messages we've entitled Passion, the Way of the King. I just want to tell you personally for just a moment that um, going through the process of preparing for these messages has been um, deeply challenging to my own heart. I've told you many times that when we come to the Word of God, and particularly and specifically as we come to the Gospel, we are not simply coming to dry, dusty texts that are somehow relegated to history and the past. But the Bible tells us that the gospel embodies the very life and power of the living Lord. And I've sensed in a very profound and deep way in my own soul the life and power of the Lord. on the one hand it's been difficult to preach because my heart is so messed by the goodness and kindness and power of the Lord and on the other hand I'm so grateful for the opportunity to welcome you in to the very heart of the gospel And to invite you to come alongside with me 
and allow your heart to be master. Because he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. And his deepest longing is to bring us into life and life to the full. But we'll never experience that life and life to the full as long as we're holding on to the other thing to which we hope to receive security and satisfaction from. If you have your Bible, please turn to John chapter Mark, sorry. Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, can I please encourage you, just, I think it's helpful to actually interact with the text, have it in your hand. So if you don't have a Bible with you, please turn to page 721 in the Bible located in front of you. As this morning... We come to the passion of the cross. And specifically in our text, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 15, verses 21 to 41. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country. And they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross. Save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. The sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple 
was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. This morning, I'm not going to take the time here to sort of unpack a lot of historical detail related to the story of Jesus' crucifixion. There's much to be said. Yet the sense in my heart today is that the Lord wants to bring us in to a personal encounter with the cross. In a sense, this morning's message is a companion to last week's. Last week's message was entitled Passion on Trial. We were looking at the trial of Jesus, and as we looked at the trial of Jesus, one of the things that we discovered was that in reality, it was not Jesus who was on trial, but it was all those around him whose hearts were literally being judged before the living God. And last week it was my clear sense that Jesus was standing before us, looking at us, each and every one of us, deep into our eyes, with His eyes of blazing fire and truth. He was looking deep into our soul and examining and exposing our hearts before Him. morning, I have the sense of each of us coming and standing before the cross and gazing at Jesus upon that cross. And as we gaze at Him, and as we look at Him upon that cross, each of us as a decision to make, a choice. How will you, how will I respond to the cross of Jesus Christ? In his letter to the Corinthians, the first letter, in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, 
the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs. Come down from the cross, then we'll believe. Greeks, look for wisdom. But to preach Christ crucified, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews. Foolishness to Gentiles. To Greeks. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, sisters, friends, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential or of noble birth. cross. The cross, as we just heard, is a stumbling block to Jews, and it's foolishness to Gentiles. And the question before us this morning is, what about you? How will you respond to the cross? As you stand before the cross this morning, how are you going to respond? As we reflect back on the story that we've been unfolding for the last several weeks, and we've seen a number of different characters come in and out of the various scenes leading up to this moment of the crucifixion. I think within those characters are revealed a number of different responses that can be made to the cross. And I think if we'll listen carefully this morning, and if we'll allow the Lord to speak to us, we may discover that we, in our own heart, in our own lives are a a whole lot more alike to some of these characters than we are distant from them. So we're not at the driving range this morning like Steve. When the Lord got a hold of his heart and he fell out of a golf cart, weeping. Perhaps this morning, perhaps this morning, could it be that the Lord would want to get a hold of your heart? That the conviction of his love and mercy and which are relentless and fierce.
How did Judas respond to the cross? He knew the cross was coming. He knew where the story was going to end. Jesus had made it very clear. I don't think it was, I don't, you know, I think Judas actually got it, what was happening. At least on some level, he knew where this was going. Last week, as we looked at Judas's life and the exposure of his heart, we found that in the exposure of Judas's heart, when Jesus stood before him, what was exposed was Judas's greed. He chose 30 pieces of silver. He chose material things instead of spiritual life. And Judas is always portrayed, in, and, and, and rightly so, as the villain in the story. And we say, well, that's Judas. That would never be me. Really? While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and a man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? With a kiss? Here's the issue, folks. Here's what we have to look at as we stand before the cross this morning. We have to ask this question. Where is my true allegiance? In every one of our lives, there will be truth encounters, there will be power encounters, but perhaps the deepest encounter or the first or the, the foundational encounter that must happen in our life at some point or another is this issue of allegiance. To whom Am I giving my allegiance to? Oh, we pledge an allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Sometimes we do those types of things publicly. There was a, 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 at some level a pledge of allegiance today to Bethel Christian Fellowship by our new members. Those are, you know, they have their place. But at the center, at the core, for you and for I, the question is this, where is my true allegiance? What really has control in my life? What is my master? Is it material things or is it Jesus? As we looked at last week, you cannot serve two masters. You'll end up hating the one. Then we have Peter. As well as the other disciples. Oh, we... You know, Peter, he's easy to look at because he's very present in the story. I mean, you know, he's always saying and doing stuff that kind of, you know, open mouth, insert foot, and... You know, Peter, we, we get a lot of mileage out of Peter, but let's not forget 
about the other disciples as well. If you remember last week, what was exposed in Peter's heart, as well as in the heart of the other disciples, was that of insecurity. There was a deep instability in their soul. There was not, there was not a full, they, they, they were not fully rooted in yet into the rock that is Christ. There was, a, there was an insecurity and instability. Their houses weren't built on rock. They were still built on sand. And it shows up right in our scenes here. Um, at that time, Jesus said to the crowd, and this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, am I leading a, a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me, but this is all taking place that the writings of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then, 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 all the disciples deserted him and fled. Not just Peter. Everybody. When the going got tough, well, the tough got going. Literally. Right out of the garden. Right out of Jesus' life. When does my heart flee from the Lord? When does my heart flee from the Lord? When do I say, okay, we were good up to this point, but now? <laughs> Sorry. Just can't do that anymore. I'm out of here. As we stand before the cross this morning, let the Spirit of God probe your heart. When does my heart flee from the Lord? I said it last week, let me say it again. When I bring these messages, it's the Lord is passing the sword through my own heart first. I have to ask myself these questions. When does my heart flee from you? Next, after Peter and that and the disciples, we have the Sanhedrin opposition. Can anybody tell me what was exposed in the hearts of the Sanhedrin out of last week's message when, they, when Jesus stood before them? What got exposed in their hearts? Yeah. Personal and institutional preservation. The Sanhedrin was all about how do we hang on to things as they are? How do we hang on to power? How do we hang on to control? How do we hang on? How do we preserve our own lives and, and the life of the institutions to which we've given ourselves? How do we keep things together? How do we hold on? At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and teachers of the law, met together and Jesus led before them. If you're the Christ, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. 
But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. And they all asked, Are you then the Son of God? And he replied, You are right in saying that I am. Then they said, what do we, Why do we need any more testimony? We've heard it from his own lips. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar, claims to be Christ a king. The real issue for the Sanhedrin was that Jesus was claiming to be who he was, the Messiah. Blasphemy to them, but when they bring him to Pilate and the Romans, they list all of these other things. He's opposing payment of taxes, claims to be Christ a king. They're accusing him of sedition and treason. But the question as we stand before the cross this morning is this. Here's the question that pierces my own soul today. How do I oppose the cross because I desire to hold on to control in my own life or in my own circumstances or in my own situations? Where do I oppose the cross which always calls me back to surrender? God have mercy. Help us. Who else do we have in the scene? We have numbers of other people, including we have the guards and the crowd. The guards and the crowd. As we looked at it last week, we discovered that what was exposed in the hearts of the guards was their intense hatred. What was in, uh, exposed in the hearts of the crowd was their willful blindness. But those exposing of hearts brings about a specific response when it comes to the cross. And that response is rejection. It was the third hour when they crucified Him. We just read this. The written notice of the charge against Him. The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with Him. One on His right and one on His left. Those who passed by hurled insults at Him, shaking their heads, saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who crucified with him also heaped insults on him. But here's what they didn't get. Listen. If Jesus had come down from the cross and saved himself, he would not have been able to save us. It was the very fact that He stayed on the cross. The fact that He willingly chose to stay there. Which actually brought the doorway into life for you and for me. In what way have I rejected Jesus because He doesn't meet my expectations. See, the crowd expected something different from the King of the Jews. They were looking for a political figure. They were looking for somebody who was going to deliver them out of the Roman, uh, out from under the Roman, uh, 
you know, authority and, and, and under the slavery and bondage in which they were as a people. Physically, they were expecting that. And when He didn't fulfill those expectations, they rejected Him. The guards had their own thing going on as it relates to who Jesus was. But they too rejected Him. He did not meet expectations. Where and when has Jesus not met your expectations of who He should be? And out of that, how has your heart rejected Him? Have there been times where you've rejected Him in your own heart? Come on, let's be honest. If only Jesus, you'd have shown up like we expected you to. All right. Now, as we continue to move on in our story, come to Pilate. You remember Pilate? Pilate's issue that was exposed. His heart issue was that of fear. He didn't want to, you know, he was, he, was the, he was a political animal. And he was afraid of the crowds. He was afraid of those who were over him. He had all kinds of different swirl of different things pulling him in different directions. And so his heart that was exposed was fear. And as he stood before the cross, as he stands before Jesus, the decision that he made was that of indecision. You remember in one of our other, um, whoops, did I go the wrong way there? Sorry. One of the, the other accounts in the Gospel of John, we've just been reading the Gospel of John in our house uh, during our family devotional time. Just, and, and this always strikes me again. John 18, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. Pilate was postmodern before there was a postmodern to know about. Because here's the question. In our day and time now, what's truth? What is truth? But Jesus says, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I am truth. So either Jesus is who He says He is, King, Savior, Messiah, all of the things that he claimed about himself. Either he's that, or he's a liar or a lunatic. There's no other choices, people. You can't relegate him to the good guy status. He's a good guy. He is a good guy, but he's a good guy with a big capital G. O. D. God, good guy. And so here's the issue, people. To, to not decide is to decide. Pilate didn't decide, but he decided. 
Indecision is a decision. Indecision is a decision. It's not one of the options. This isn't a multiple choice test where you get to say, I don't know. I'm not going to choose all of the above. It is either or. It's yes or no. It's not maybe. So have you decided? And what are you going to decide today? What are you going to decide today? What do you do with this? None of us have the option of standing before God someday and saying, well, I never heard about this. Nobody ever told me. I'm telling you right now, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. You can't get to God except through Him. There are not many paths. There is one. He is the way. And now we come directly into our story here this morning. We have Simon the Cyrene. What an incredible picture that we have with Simon. Here he is. He's a pilgrim in the city. We don't know if he lived in the city or came. We, we know that he wasn't from Jerusalem, but we know he's in Jerusalem. He's actually from Cyrene is actually, how many of you have been reading the news about Libya? Anybody been hearing the news about Libya? You've been reading the news about Libya? Simon is from Tripoli. That's the modern day. Simon's from Tripoli. This is, you know, we think, again, old dusty stuff that doesn't, uh-uh. This is now. Simon is an African from Tripoli who's here in the city. And Jesus is carrying the crossbeam of the cross. He's already been lashed. He's lost so much blood. He's in agony and torment. Physically, he's deteriorating so rapidly as he carries this 30 to 40 pound cross beam of the cross. And the Roman soldiers see him stumbling, beginning to fall. He can't even get up anymore. So they, they find, they see the crowds around. They're walking through the streets. They're going to walk through every street they can because they're showing they're showing off the prisoner. They're showing off their authority. They're showing off their power. They're showing off their control. They're showing off their kingdom. They're showing off all of that. They're trying to show up Jesus, show up all these things, say, don't be like it. You know, here he is, the king of the Jews, the sign behind him. Here's what he did. Here's what, here's what he's accused of. He's carrying the crossbeam. He's falling. And they say, Simon, come on out. Simon does. carries the cross. So what does Simon do? He follows Jesus. He's following Jesus at the cross. Jesus had said back in Mark 8, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world but to forfeit his soul? Now we don't know all of the other things about Simon. 
We don't know everything about his life, but it's interesting if you go back to our text, Mark 15, go there for just a moment. Look again. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country. And they forced him to carry the cross, but the point of it is, is I believe that there came a point where Simon wasn't simply forced to carry the cross, but willingly chose to carry that cross. And there's a little clue in our text. And those of you that have read through the New Testament with us from Saturate, or maybe you've heard this in some other places, can anybody tell me where in the text might be a clue to the fact that, in fact, Simon may very well have become a follower of Christ? Anybody know? Anybody? Extra sermon points available. Why would we know his name, let alone his son's name? And if you look over in Romans, chapter 16, verse 13, in Paul's, you know, in many of Paul's letters, he makes salutations to various peoples. 16, 13, greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord and his mother who has been a mother to me too. Don't know if it's the same Rufus. Wouldn't be surprised. Acts 13, church at Antioch. The, the, the leadership team that's made up there. One of those leaders is Simeon. Or in, you know, it, very commonly it would either be Simeon or Simon. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1, Simeon called Niger, called the black, called black because he is from Africa. Don't know. For sure. But I don't think it's too far to push things. To see in Simon a picture of a follower. And the question is for us, am I wholeheartedly following Jesus today in my life. Not forced, but willingly coming to Him. Alright, we just have a couple more and then we're done. In addition to Simon in our scene here as we've been delving in deeper, we also have the women. Have you noticed? Have you seen them? If you're not paying attention, you might overlook them. But the Scriptures don't overlook them, and God doesn't overlook them, because throughout this scene of, of the passion of Jesus, as we get closer and closer to the center of things, and as the going got tough, and the tough guys got going, it was the women who stayed present, faithful, through to the very end. Many women were there, watching from a distance, had followed Jesus from Galilee. Listen to this. To care for his needs. I just love that. To care for his needs. The disciples were all consumed with their own insecurity and fear. Everybody around Jesus is all looking for their own piece of him. But it's the women who are looking, how can we care for his needs? 
That to me is a picture of faithfulness. And the question for us, do I remain faithful to the Lord? Do I care for Him? Is my attention focused on Him? Even when I don't understand what is happening, they didn't know what was happening just like no one else understood what was happening. And yet they stayed present with Him. Faithful. Attending to Him. Focusing on Him. Where's my focus? Finally, Finally, we have the centurion who received the revelation. What did he receive the revelation of? He received the revelation of the cross. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us about Jesus and the cross. He himself is our peace, who has made the two one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Here's what's amazing to me. The curtain was opened, divided in two. This was the heavy curtain that was between the holy place and the holy of holies. The place, the only place where, and, and we don't know, actually there was two curtains in the temple. There was one that, that was between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews. It was a separation between those who were God's chosen people and those who weren't. And then there was further, there was another curtain. There was the curtain between even the chosen people of God and the high priest, the only one who could go in once a year to the Holy of Holies to make sacrifice on behalf of all people. One of those curtains was broken in two, divided in two. But the picture is incredibly powerful because with that torn curtain, the gate has been opened. And the first person to declare allegiance to the king is a Gentile. Isn't that amazing? The first one is a Gentile. the way's been opened. So here's the question. Have you fully received the revelation of the cross? Surely this is the Son of God. As the worship team comes up, he closed with the rest of the scripture that I started with in 1 Corinthians, Paul's scripture there. Remind us, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, 
Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then Paul goes on to say, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear with much trembling. My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And here's what I want you to capture this morning. The cross, in all of its humility, and yes, even humiliation, is the very power of God for the salvation of all mankind. And there is no way to the Father except for through the cross, And so this morning, as you stand before the cross today, would you open up your heart to receive that full revelation from Him? Let Him examine your heart. Where are those places where you flee? Where are the places where you've opposed or rejected? Where are the places where you've been faithless? Where are those places? in our lives. God, reveal that we might come to you and be healed and restored, oh God, through your very power. Could we please stand together? We're going to sing a hymn that was referenced earlier this morning, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. This will be our closing hymn. But as we sing it, I invite you, if the Lord is speaking to you this morning, come. Lay your heart here on this altar. Let him bring healing to you. Let him bring salvation. Let's open our hands. Jesus. As we stand before your cross this morning, we are in awe of the incredible love and grace and mercy that has been expressed there. Lord Jesus, Our hearts are compelled towards you today. So we open our lives to you today and ask for you to take control. Lord Jesus, we want to walk through the cross and into life today. Help us walk with you there. Jesus, continue to reveal to us our hearts. Continue to reveal to us the decisions that we're making. Even when we think we're not making decisions. Show us, Lord. And now I pray that you might be filled with the immeasurable love of God the Father. The irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son. The inexhaustible strength and power of the Holy Spirit. Be with you and yours. As you go from this house to your house. Sent to make disciples of all nations with the name of Jesus upon your lips. May the banner of His goodness and favor be over you. May His goodness chase you down until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home. I bless you, people of God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.